Hello, everybody. I'm back on the Daily Brief after a short stint away this week reporting on the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos. It's Friday, January 19th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosman Georgia. And I'm Andrew Lawton. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. So we have a little bit of a different format for the show today. We won't be going through any written stories particularly, but we would like to bring you a exclusive glimpse at what's been going on on the ground here in Davos while we've been covering the World Economic Forum, providing you with exclusive content and interviews. So Andrew, I would like to begin by asking you, what was the main focal event of this week for you particularly? Ooh, focal event. I, I think there's a, always a spectacle here, I, I've learned. This is now my, my third time covering the World Economic Forum annual meeting, and it's just a weird thing to see. In some ways, it has all the hallmarks of a regular conference or trade show, but you know the people walking around are the richest and most powerful people in the world, CEOs, kings, queens, princesses, and all that. I, I'd say for a defining event, look, I, it was very interesting to me to talk to Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, who's the Director General of the World Health Organization. And when I say talk to, it was a very one-sided conversation. He wasn't interested in answering any questions. But as I said on my show yesterday, I think sometimes the non-answers are just as revealing, if not more so, than, than the answers would have been. Absolutely. And you've spent a lot of time talking to these people and getting some responses. Sometimes you don't get a response. But Provide to our listeners just a glimpse into how they have treated independent media from your perspective, being there on the ground and and pressing these people to answer questions they might not otherwise face. One thing I'll say, because there there has been some controversy in past years about this, where you get, you know, some weird reporter that just wants to go viral and they claim they were arrested or detained or something. The the Swiss police and security are generally quite good here. I I have never been asked to move. I have never been uh, asked or... uh, I've never been told that I I can't do it. The only times I I have had any issues have been when police and security are in the process of moving and I kind of just get shoved or or pushed a little bit as collateral damage. But I'm not going to pretend that I've been targeted in any way. So I I think that the apparatus here is one that is is very conducive to press freedom in a, a literal sense. The problem with that is that you still have an attitude that is that we don't belong and that the people we are asking questions to as independent journalists uh, do not have to answer. Now, sure, no one can be forced to answer a question. You have a right to ignore. That's your prerogative. But it's the attitude that I, I think is very concerning here because these people do not believe genuinely that they should be held to account. And as a result, you have independent journalists out on the street and approved journalists who are in the warmth of the Davos Congress Center not encountering the access issues that we are. Right. The security situation is interesting because on one hand, there is a large element of police, military. You know, you see sort of patrols going through town. 
there is a checkpoint, but by and large, it is open to the public. There are people here skiing, there are residents here, there are journalists, there are people who just have blogs here going about their day trying to report on this. Will Davos always be this open? Or do you think it's going to become more constricted and more exclusive than it is now? That's a good question. And you know, there, there, when you mentioned the checkpoints, I should just contextualize for people. When you're you're driving into town, there's one basically there's one way in on each side of the village that you can go through, and on each side they have a, a small police. Well, it's not small; it's it's quite large. They have a, a police checkpoint that you have to go through. On the four days that we have gone through that so far. We've only been stopped once, and even then, you know, I had barely stopped the car, and the officer had kind of waved us through because they looked in, and and you, Sean, and I uh, didn't look like, you know, sufficient menaces to the Davos elites that we were going to be banned. Little did they know. So, and I kind of recalled in that moment wondering if there was going to be a point when you needed to have a reason to get into the village. You needed to show that you had a hotel reservation or show that you lived there or something. And I I don't think it's going to go that way. I I don't know enough about, you know, Swiss law and, and Swiss constitutional laws and freedoms or anything like that. But I think it's clear that Davos has been successful as a conference site for so long because it is so inaccessible. I mean, you, as you well know, and as listeners to my show know, it's incredibly difficult to find a place to stay here. It's difficult and expensive to get here. Everything you do here is expensive. You know, to get like a a sandwich or a, a wrap on a pita cost me the equivalent of you know, 24 or $25 the other day. So I, I think that they've tried to keep people away through the structure of, of choosing to have it here. And I, I don't think they would go the full route, but I was going to ask you what your sense was, because on, on one hand, you expect it to be secure and you expect that, you know, people are going to have bodyguards and all of that. But, but I'm curious how you felt walking around. Like, what was your sense having never done this before? I was honestly surprised. My impression and imagination, I guess, going into this was completely different. I expected a way more secure place. I expected to be ID'd even going in, having your car checked, being asked questions, but it is quite lax. And I don't think that means that they're not prepared, but they seem to be trusting of the people who are here. And part of that is, yes, we're we're in Switzerland. It is essentially a remote area of Europe, but it definitely does feel secure and it does feel high level. I know for a fact that there are armored vehicles driving around. You see people with security details and you also see governments with their own people here. Uh, you know, we saw Ukrainian officials walking around and they had their own security guards as well. I want to change tracks here, Andrew, a little bit because Argentinian President Javier Malay's speech seems to be the highlight of this week so far. I've seen his speech get like huge amounts of views on social media, and I suspect it's probably one of the most viewed talks at the World Economic Forum right now. I know you reported prior to us coming here that he was going to attend and this was a later addition to the program than the one that was initially released. Did you expect this? Did you expect Javier Malay to be the big man on campus, so to speak? Yeah, I I did to an extent. Now, I, I would probably suggest that I thought he would be 
a little bit less. I, I aggressive's not the right word because he wasn't aggressive, but I I thought that maybe he would try to be a bit more conciliatory. And, and to be fair, he was. I mean, at one point he was speaking in a very flattering way about CEOs, and he's saying, "Listen, don't don't be ashamed of producing wealth. Don't be ashamed of making money. You're doing something that the market wants." And I thought that was a, an interesting tone because it looked like he was trying to drive a wedge between the political class and the business class. And by doing that, what he's really doing is undermining the core premise of the World Economic Forum. So I, I thought it was good. I think he went further than I thought he would because I know there was some skepticism from some of his fans when he accepted the invitation to be here at the first place. People thought, oh no, he's just like the rest of them. But there he was saying the right things. And as he's doing in Argentina, it the walk matches the talk and vice versa. And I mean, you found a, a clip that's like the complete anti-Javier Malay from this Colombian environment minister who who's literally, I mean, in your words, what Javier Malay is warning against. Right. I posted on X about this. So it was the minister of environment for Colombia, and she essentially advocates against capitalism. She says that decarbonization must also coincide with abandoning the current economic system and replacing it with another one. And I presume that to mean socialism. The government she comes from is a far left socialist and progressive party. So just to go back to what you said, Malay wasn't necessarily throwing punches at the people there. I do think he was criticizing certain pariahs or, or, or leeches off the system and people who push socialism aggressively, but he was almost asking the attendees at WEF to pick up the mantle, to take on their roles seriously and guide global economies towards prosperity rather than the situation many countries face today. Andrew, do you think this message has gotten through to the attendees at the World Economic Forum? No, I, I don't think so. I think they're all pretty baked in their ways. They all have their own constituencies and, and paths. I, I think, you know, it was really fascinating to me, though, to look at the global response to this, because you mentioned some of the numbers he was pulling in. And, and the fact that, you know, Javier Malay may not have been the most popular guy at in Davos this week, but he was certainly the most popular Davos guy outside of Davos this week. I think that's a really important point here. And what I would say moving forward here is that he kind of made an international debut in this speech. This was not just Argentinian news. This was, uh, the, we, we wrote about it at True North, the Toronto Sun wrote about it. I, I've seen it in newspapers and, and magazines and TV stations around the world. And that's pretty noteworthy here. So I think he's actually showing the world that you don't need to go down the Davos road effectively of, of doing things in this stakeholder capitalism way, you can actually cling to these very fundamental core libertarian principles for economics and succeed. And I, look, I mean, Argentina's economic performance, it, it's very early to tell. He, he's doing shock therapy, which has a long history in Latin America specifically, but he's telling countries, no, this is the way you have to do things. And he's being a leader unafraid to take the slings and arrows of those in the room in Davos to make that broader point. For sure, Malay was definitely a curveball and an outsider at the World Economic Forum. But to bring this back to Canada, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland is very much the opposite. She's the insider. She's on the board of trustees for the World Economic Forum. And I watched the panel 
Freeland was on, and she spoke for about five minutes, in which she essentially said very similar things to everybody else there, talking about sustainability and how great Canada is at uh, moving towards the green economy and shifting our industrial capacity to meet these new challenges. What was your take on it? Yeah, I, I think that Christia Freeland, when she's speaking on a trade panel, which is what it was, I thought I would agree with her on a lot of what she said, because generally speaking, the liberal government has been pro-free trade. I'm pro-free trade. I, I don't like that they insist on putting a gender analysis and climate change analysis and, you know, transgender diverse, you know, endangered species analysis or whatever in, in every trade deal. But I, I'm generally supportive of, of free trade. Uh, but instead, like everything else with this government, it goes down the climate change road. And, and what was notable in Christopher Freeland's remarks is that she talks about decarbonization, the very same word that that Colombian environment minister, Susanna Mohammed used. Uh, but the way Christopher Freeland talks about decarbonization, it's great for business. She says government has to force it, but oh, everyone's going to make more money. There's going to be more growth. It's going to be all that, uh, you know, all hunky dory. And I, I look at that and I say, you cannot say that with a straight face without being so blatantly and brazenly dishonest or just plain wrong. That's it for today, folks. Make sure to check in on our Davos coverage at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Also, please keep an eye out for the Alberta Roundup with Rachel Emanuel tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news.